Welcome to Legacy Women's Podcast, where we seek to encourage women in their relationship with God and one another through monthly conversations with the women of Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Well, hello. Thank you for listening. Today, we are going to chat about growing older and changing seasons. Last year, we did a similar podcast, and it was one of my favorites. It was so faith-building to hear from older women about God's faithfulness to them through the years and how He continues to sustain them. In Psalm 71, David says, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. So that's what these ladies are going to do today. They are going to proclaim God's might and deeds. And I think our faith will be strengthened as they do so. They're not, they're not, you know, we use older. We're talking about how that's relative. You know, it's all relative. But um, you have seen God at work in your lives through the years. And I'm excited to hear you share about that. So can each of you introduce yourselves? My name is Marianne Jacoby. Uh, my husband, George, and I have been coming to church for about eight and a half years. Even though the last two years, <laughs> we've kind of been absent because of COVID and George recovering from that. We have two children, and they both live here. We have three grandchildren. One is getting ready to graduate from Virginia Tech in May, and the second one is at UT. She's a junior, and she's doing her junior second semester in Spain. And our third, our baby, Derek, is at Baylor in Waco, Texas. So they are our delights. <laughs> And uh, George and I have been married 58 years, and uh, we've been in Knoxville about 22 years. We were originally, both of us, from the Northeast, and were born there, and then spent 33 years in Virginia, and about 22 years here. My name is Rosemary Mercier, and I have been at Cornerstone for about 11 years, and I have four kids and seven grandchildren. And you just tell them about your job. <laughs> and I just started a new job. I'm working at the church, which is great. I'm DJ Mitchell, and I've been at Cornerstone for 22 years. I have three children, six grandchildren, and... I can't think of anything else. Are you from here? <laughs> oh, no, I am from uh, Chattanooga, and we, I moved around a lot. When my husband worked for the railroad, we moved around a lot and landed in Knoxville, where I'd never wanted to be, and grew to love it, so still here. Well, can you share your testimony with us, DJ? I sure can. Uh, I've written out my testimony for numerous occasions, so I, I searched everywhere for the one I wanted to share so I wouldn't have to do it again. So I'm so thankful that I couldn't find it because this one is different. God's providence kept coming to my mind, and with every sentence I wrote, I was wowed and amazed at his providence in every area of my life. So I was raised in a good home. My mom was a Christian. My dad was from the generation or the denomination that said that religion is personal. No one's business, so he didn't discuss it. 
We all went to church together. I was taught right from wrong, but I never remember being taught at home about the heart and, and sin. So my dad stopped going to church with us when I was in the fourth grade. So mom took my brother and I to the Baptist church because that was the denomination that she was raised. I learned about the Lord's Supper there and my friends partook, but I couldn't for some reason. It had to do with salvation. So I decided to get saved and baptized so I could take the Lord's Supper too. Peer pressure. Well, needless to say, that didn't stick. My junior high and high school years were filled with covert rebellion. Add in loose boundaries, a lot of downtime, and sin will abound. In high school, my parents were struggling in their marriage, and I just remember staying with relatives more than usual. We weren't really told much about it, so I found partying with friends as a way of escape. Looking back now, I see God's providence in caring for me and protecting me till his appointed time for salvation. I was always athletic and playing some sport, which kept me from totally running amok. I had a Christian basketball coach who made us toe the line. I had a praying in the Holy Ghost great-grandmother who lifted us cousins up. My parents were good people and loved us, so there was always a sense of obligation to make them proud again. Uh, wrong reasons for doing good, but God was securing my inheritance through these, those obligations and protecting me. So during my senior year of high school, I found myself pregnant with my steady, going-to-get-married boyfriend. In 1977, it wasn't popular to have a baby out of wedlock. What would my basketball coach think? Oh, my parents will be so disappointed. My friend's mother was a nurse, so she walked me through getting an abortion. I really thought no big deal. They said the baby was a blob about the size of the end of my thumb. The lies were convenient to cover my misfortune. After it was over, I was overwhelmingly consumed with guilt and shame. I spiraled down emotionally to bouts of depression, lots of partying. But for some reason, I would read my Bible and be able to cope with the guilt, at least on the surface. I believe that God was showing me in small glimpses the power of his word. I attended church with my mom through all of this, hearing the word preached. But when the altar call came at the end of the service, I would slip out the back and leave. This went on for two years. God's persistent, pursuing hand never let me go. Seeds were being planted. I see that now. I was still attending church so that I could play basketball on the church team. God's way to keep me coming back to hear his word. I remember the girls were so loving and welcoming to me. What struck me too was that they had real fun. No alcohol or pot. They had fun playing. Again, God's providence in keeping me close. So Sunday, March 2nd, 1980, Chattanooga had snow, but I knew that I was going to be saved that morning and make a public profession of faith. So I had to get to church. My mom and I went. Instead of a crowd of a thousand people, there were maybe a hundred there. I went down front and prayed the sinner's prayer with the pastor and had a vision of a brick wall being lifted off my shoulders. I finally stopped running. God saved me. Salvation this time brought the Holy Spirit and conviction of sin. I knew my life had to change and did change, and God was faithful to take care of this with a gentle hand. Breaking up with a boyfriend of four years, old unhealthy friendships were fizzling out, replacing parties and spending quality time with my grandparents and gardening and a new dog. What? God is so amazing making all those changes in my life, 
things that I would have balked at years ago, like how in the world am I going to, you know, ditch my friends from, you know, 15 year old friends, but God in his providence and his gentle hand was able to pull me out of that. Well, it never gets old hearing testimonies. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, So let's turn to our topic, and I just wanted to start with what have been some of the surprises or joys of growing older? Well, this is Mary Ann. Um, I think some of the surprises have been people that you thought would walk with you to the end that the Lord takes on home, and that happens as you get older. Mm -hmm. You, You think... It's a, you're always going to have people with you that mean so much to you. And uh, I think from that, that that's just a surprise because all of us have lost people. And there's that finality. Even as Christians, we know where they are. But I know sometimes when I go outside and I'm flinging the garbage into the garbage can <laughs> in the yard at night and I look up at the stars. I talk to some of my friends up there. Uh, so just I, I would just from that I would say that we all need to appreciate who we have around us and, mm-hmm. and hold them close uh, because you know that that I would say that's one of the biggest surprises. Uh, I mean I knew what could happen, mm-hmm. but when it does, it, a couple of years ago I lost like four people in a year, very close people, and uh, so but they leave a deposit in your life as mm-hmm. we all do. And that's a wonderful thing. Well, I think my greatest joy in growing older is serving my adult children and spouses for those that are married. Whether it be following the birth of a grandchild or caring for children on date nights, I love to be generous with my children through acts of service and gift giving. The chief way that I can support my children in their marriages is by loving their spouses. So I strive to do this by being available to help care for children, sharing valuable resources, and regularly offering words of encouragement, and sending flowers for no particular occasion. Um, Another joy is grandchildren. Yes. And I feel like we as grandparents should never underestimate the influence that we can have on our grandchildren we have an opportunity to impact these lives for eternity. Mm-hmm. Always keeping their future in view when we're together, I try to capture teachable moments. As they grow, what they see me value, how I spend my time, and what I talk about, these things will communicate as well. I'm going to say the how I'm surprised about old age is I don't want to be but I'm still surprised that the same sin follows me into old age. Vanity and pride and lack of humility, they don't leave. And you still have to deal with that when you get old. So hopefully I'm more sensitive to the Holy Spirit and conviction of sin. At least that's what I hope and pray. But two, I live alone, so there's nobody pushing my buttons. That's (laughs) So I get friends to tell me that. The the joy, I find joy in the church body because all my kids live all over the place. So the church, having family here, the church body is very important to me. Um, And two, 
I don't have to worry about finances and the freedom of time and being available to be with my kids and grandkids and help others. That's, that's a joy that God's given. And I don't, can I just say one thing about that? Cut it where they can actually hear you. Hang on. I have a best friend in Virginia who says we're, we're still falling down, but we're getting up faster. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Maybe not physically. (laughs) I hope that's true. Paulette said the same thing about my sin. The fact that I still sin a lot surprises me. I'm like, that's kind of discouraging. (laughs) I hope I'll be getting up faster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so are there areas where you um, are tempted or have been tempted to be afraid when you think about changing seasons of life or getting older, and how has God met you in that fear? Well, first of all, and I guess this is vanity, I don't know, I never think of myself as being older. And uh, my daughter, Anne, says I'm living in denial, but it's a good denial, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I just... I think the Lord has a precious way of uh, reminding us that we're ageless to him because he's ageless. And when we're with him, whether it's in the word or in worship, when, when we're really connecting with him, there is no sense of being older or younger. It, we're just loved. We're just loved. And just thinking about... Um, something someone said a little while ago about their grandchildren. I know a couple of things that God has given me through the years with my grandkids. Uh, Brandon, who's getting ready to graduate from Virginia Tech, when he was five, and the Lord just you know brings this to my memory, and it encourages me of fruit in my old age. When he was five, I remember us standing on the stairway and him saying, Mimi, do you think you could pray to the Lord and ask him if we could die at the same time so we could go to heaven together? And that was such a precious thing to me. And just a month ago, my granddaughter Lauren, who is spending the second half of her junior year in Spain, uh, we were sitting together. She wanted to spend an overnight with her pop-pop and her Mimi before she left, which was really sweet. And we were sitting talking in the living room, just some places where she was walking. And she just said to me, Mimi, I want my children to know you. And so we started figuring out the latest she could get married and how old I would be and whether that's possible at all. But, but that is a treasure. And those are the things that the Lord really, they've kept me young. My grandkids have kept me young, and they've given me permission to be silly, to be fun, to be free in a way as adults that doesn't always happen. And so God has used that to, to just keep me feeling young at heart, and uh, I, that's a blessing. Okay, so uh, for me, being tempted to be afraid when I think about getting older... Um, I think about growing older alone. I desire companionship, and I would love to have someone to enjoy God with. Um, But whether God provides that or not, in Christ, I need not fear growing older alone because he takes care of his own. Isaiah 46.4 says, Even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. 
And some of the happiest and most fruitful times can be in the mid to later years. I feel more settled, have more freedom, and as I continue gaining wisdom, this provides a good degree of stability. And Paul instructed us to redeem the time in Ephesians 5.16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil, and Psalm 90.12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I can lose sight of the fact that true contentment is found by looking outside of myself to serve God and to love the people he's placed in my life. Where I'm tempted to be afraid getting older is being feeble and alone. And that probably goes back to the vanity and humility. But God gave me children that have said they want to take care of me in old age. So that's comforting. And I have to remember constantly grace for today. I don't have future grace. So I can trust that um, it's not up to me to plan for calamity and consume my thoughts with avoiding calamity. That God is preparing a future for me. Well, I wanted to know if there's an older woman in your life who made growing older in Christ attractive. So can you share about her and what you admire or find compelling? I had, I don't know if you would call her a mentor or not, but she was about 15 years older than me at the time. And I was in her Bible class in Virginia Beach, and she was the most amazing woman I have ever known in my life totally sold out to the Lord, totally in love with him, in love with his word, and gave us such a a reality of his passion for us and his desire to be close to us and walk with us as women. And every Thursday we had a a study, women from all over the Virginia Beach, Norfolk area. And uh, it was very, very special. And she was amazing. She was an artist. She was a writer, she was a sculptor, she was an interior decorator, and she was best friends with June Carter Cash. And they would spend their Christmases with the Cashes in Jamaica uh, on Cinnamon Hill, which was one of their homes. And Joyce was a great storyteller. She'd come back from there and she'd imitate all the voices of the servants and and all the people John and June had down and, and for uh, company. And she was just an amazing human being. When you were with Joyce, you were the only person in the world. I mean, she would just grab hold of your heart as you spoke and just stay with you. I I had had a situation uh, our family had when we first came to the Lord. We ended up spending seven years in a church, quote unquote, which later turned into more of a cult than a church. And it, was, there was, it, was, it became abusive. And uh, trying to separate the Lord and his word from who he really was. Um, I remember going to Joyce's house when I first joined the class. And I spent seven, I didn't realize at the time, hours at her home. And every moment of that, she was with me, walked through with me everything I needed to share. As the years went on, we actually became best friends. And there was an equality between us, uh, prayer between us, and love between us. Uh, in fact, I'm wearing a cross she brought me back from 
Jerusalem. I wear it all the time. But she taught me that we as Christians so easily pounce upon ourselves about sin, which I'm not saying we don't need to do that, but we're so uncomfortable about moving over into being loved by God beyond our even ability to grasp that. We are so wanted and loved by him. And she taught me that. And, and, and she also taught me how to have fun. Christians that aren't fun do not draw other people and how to laugh and how to play. And uh, she was an amazing woman and she changed my life forever. I have a dear friend that I've known for about 16 years now. And as I have observed her and walked with her, one thing that I admire about her is her dependence on God. Through many changing seasons, she has been through trials and adversities of every kind. In all of this, the one thing that remains is a continual returning to God. Charles Spurgeon said, It is a good thing to be without a trouble, but it is a better thing to have a trouble and to know how to get grace enough to bear it. It's a better thing to have a trouble and know how to get grace enough to bear it. That's because dependence is always better than self-sufficiency in the kingdom of God. Self-sufficiency leads to pride and selfishness, dependence to humility and intimacy with the Lord. It yields good fruit in our lives. This friend of mine, when she could not see the path clearly, and she didn't know what God was doing, would cry to the Lord. At times, a feeble groan would be all that she could muster, but in her weakness and despair, she was faithfully looking to God. So there's been several different seasons of life. There's been a woman that has mentored me. So when I lived in Georgia for several years, Jackie Morris, my Bible study leader in Macon, and she was one of the best teachers. She was gifted, and she taught me the power of God's Word, and she challenged me to love the Word of God. I remember she used to say this, and I, I thought it was odd at first, but she said, I wish I could just pull the pages out of the Bible and eat them. And I thought, that's strange, but really, I mean, that really shows you love the Word of God. So she was in her 50s, and she was a widow. She lost her husband when I was down there, and she wore her widowhood well, and I, I just loved to watch her walk through that. Mm. And then when I moved to Knoxville, Anna Shasted and her gentle hospitality embraced this transient family that had moved up here and just welcomed us into her house. Um, she just she just loved us. She she showed hospitality well. And then I can't I can't leave out my mom observing her Christian walk after I was married and older. And um, when she lost my hus her husband, my, my dad, um, just watching her walk through that, she did widowhood well as, as well. So every morning she would get her coffee and sit on the end of the couch and do her Bible reading. Um, she walked through a horribly disfiguring cancer, but she walked through in faith. We would sit and read Johnny Erickson Tata's book, A Place of Healing, while she was in treatment. So 
sitting there on the end of her couch like I had always seen her sitting right across from me. I read out loud and we'd stop to talk about the truths in the book. So sweet memories of those few months and she died well also. She died with a group of women around her holding hands and praying. Oh, wow. And three of my good friends from Knoxville came down to visit me that day. And we all went in the room and prayed for my mom and she passed while we were all oh, standing around praying for her. Wow. So yeah, that was, um, those are my three that I could think of, but I'm sure there's a lot more. Well, can each of you share a story <laughs> where you've seen God's faithfulness um, and providence in your life? Um, or where you've just seen his love and care as you reflect back over your life? I'd have to say that this la these last two years have been very interesting. Uh, my husband, I I'm about to share where God has moved miraculously, uh, came down with COVID. It'll be two years next October and had two strokes and was on a ventilator. We almost lost him three times within three months. And out of the last year and a half, he has been gone nine months. And so my life changed and up and down, up and down. And uh, God was just amazing. I mean, amazing. It wasn't easy. It was one of the hardest times I've ever gone through. Uh, my husband's doctor says, who's a Christian, that George is a miracle. And he is. But where we are today he's home tonight uh, this time last year george couldn't turn himself over we had 24 7 help that was the only way we could bring him home we had to deplete a lot deplete a lot of our savings to keep him home uh, it's been a really interesting year and a half so a lot has happened but i just want to tell you a couple of stories if i can mm -hmm. that yeah. took place along the way um, when George was in NHC in Farragut and he was uh, going through rehabilitation, rehab, I was visiting him every day, of course, and we had already gone through uh, seven or eight months that were unbelievable. When you call up, for instance, when he was in ICU at UT, I know I'm jumping around, but when he was in ICU and he was on the ventilator, Every day when I called, they would say, Mrs. Jacoby, we don't know if Mr. Jacoby's going to make it today. And every day I would try to talk to them as I was crying. And uh, then they called. Then one night, one night, I was just crying out to the Lord and I was just praying and, and just sitting on the side of my bed. And all of a sudden, I felt George in the room with me, and he was on the ventilator, he was unconscious, and I, I just felt like he was there. And I just started saying, George, George, <laughs> Lord, I just kept saying George, and I just felt like he was getting closer and closer, and so I just started thanking the Lord. I said, Lord, I just ask you to be with him, and his presence was so real, George's presence. So the next morning, my son Bill called from Texas. He had taken our grandson down there to Baylor to visit. And uh, I said, Bill, i got to tell you something that happened last night with Dad. And he, I told him, and he said, Mom, i got to tell you something that happened this morning to me. He said, I was waking up. I thought I was dreaming. And then so I just started getting myself awake. And he said, I could hear Dad's voice. 
And I said, what was he saying? And he said, he was just saying, Bill, Bill, hi, Bill, Bill. And I said, Bill, do you think that dad is, is fighting to come back to us? And God let us have a little taste of that. And uh, so that was one of, one of the incidents. The next day, they called and said that they had a little window where they could take George off the ventilator. And if he didn't come off, if he wasn't able to breathe on his own, they were going to have to let him go because everything in George was being kept alive artificially. Um, so Bill flew in, was just flying in from Waco that morning, and uh, we drove to UT. They said they would keep him alive for us if he wasn't able to breathe so we could say goodbye. And I remember praying out loud, loudly in the car, Lord, please do what's best for George. Giving George back to God again, as I had a couple of times before that. And we almost got up to North Shore and the phone rang and they said, Mr. Jacoby, George is off the ventilator, he's breathing. And we were like, so excited, we went home and drank champagne. <laughs> and we all toasted George in the kitchen. And, uh, but as time went on and we brought George home, uh, they, had, they didn't want me to bring him home. They were like, you know, he's, you really are gonna need help 24 seven. I thought I can do this. So we brought him home and he, he could barely turn. He could barely do anything by himself. And we kept him home for several months and, uh, and he had another stroke. And then he was back at UT and back and forth, back and forth. And so as back to my beginning statement, as I'm visiting him every day at NHC and he's in rehab, I said to the Lord one day coming home, I, I'm afraid to bring George home again. I don't think I can do this anymore. I mean, I was exhausted and had ended up in the hospital myself for three days from this exhaustion. And I just said, I, and I, I want him to come home, but I, I don't know how to do this, God, and I don't know how to tell anybody this. And the next day I was just sitting in the living room praying and talking to the Lord about all this, and all of a sudden I heard the words, you need to talk to, your, to Bill, who's my son. He just, it was so clear, as clear as anybody, you need to talk to Bill. So a couple of days later, Bill called from Virginia, and uh, we would talk. He said, Mom, how is Dad doing? And I started to tell him how I thought he was doing. And he said to me, Mom, I've got to tell you something, and I know you probably don't want to hear it, but I do not think you're, you're able to take care of Dad at this point. I just don't think you should. And he said, I have some ideas I want to share with you. And as he's talking, the tears are running down my face because it was like relief that I wasn't alone in the way I was feeling. And he said, I know we can find a place for him. He said, uh, and of course, you have to realize that the whole time I went through this with George, I could never visit him. I could never touch him. I could never get near him. In fact, I've written a poem about that, what that's like. And to think that, that we could go through that again was just awful. But Bill said, Mom, you know, maybe we can find a place, et cetera, et cetera. And so he started to, and maybe we can even bring the dog up to see him. You know how Dad loves Skye? And so anyway, we, I said, well, Bill, I don't know where that place would be that would let us bring Skye up, but that would be good. And I didn't want him in a nursing home. Well, they had, I had such relief when we got off that phone that when I started visiting George, I was just thrilled. 
And I didn't know what God was going to do, but it was like it was done. Mm -hmm. And every time I drive home, in fact, I was sharing with a legacy group at that time. I had a table of ladies, and I remember going there on Tuesdays and saying, I am here to tell you that God is faithful in every season. And sure enough, seven minutes from our house, a beautiful place had been built called North Shore Heights. Mm -hmm. And we were able to put George at North Shore Heights our dog, Sky, our 80-pound German Shepherd, was up there every other day visiting him. We could bring George home anytime we wanted. I mean, it was, it was everything we needed. And so we were able to bring George, who couldn't turn over last year, back home in December. And now George showers himself, dresses himself, feeds himself, takes all his own medicine, gives himself shots and insulin for his diabetes, is, is just starting to transition from a walker to a cane, and it's just precious, just precious what God has done. And I am, I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful that we have a God who is so personal that he would say, talk to Bill. It just, it just blesses me how personal God is. Well, the faithfulness of God has been the theme of my life for many years. Repeatedly, God has met me and demonstrated his faithfulness through significant hardship. One such example is that God brought me through sexual abuse. Very recently, God gave me victory over a specific fear that was a direct result of the sexual abuse. As an adult, from early adulthood, I've had a fear of the dark. I've been afraid to fall asleep in the dark. I developed patterns that I believed were enabling me to be in control of the night. But after many years of this lifestyle, with the encouragement of a friend and through prayer, God gave me grace to overcome my fears. So I want to give all the glory to God for his faithfulness to me. And I just want to say that we don't ever grow too old to know of God's new faithfulness. Psalm 4, 8 says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I always go back to uh, losing my husband of 23 years. And how in God's providence, two years before he died, he had cancer. And the cancer diagnosis allowed us both to prepare for the inevitable mm -hmm. and that I never wanted to think about nor discuss, since it might happen if I talked about it. So how, how uh, theologically unsound was that? Um, I see God planted us in Knoxville, where I didn't want to be, but he wanted us to... Uh, being a church body that knew how to care for us and teach us truth. So being grounded in Reformed theology prepared me to not question God's timing of taking my husband home 
Yes, I battled that, but didn't, didn't beat myself up wondering what I could have done to prevent that accident. The if-onlys are not good for the soul. Mm-hmm. And I saw the church body just rally around me. Um, Joel and Carmen Baker were God's tools on the ground. He mentored Morgan, my son. He spoke hard truth to him for years. He also used Todd Williams as a mentor to point him out on the right path, how to be a man. And uh, being a stay-at-home mom and homeschooling mom for 23-plus years, I wondered what I'd do if something happened to my husband. Well, it did, and I can't imagine how the story could be any better, nor um, how I could have been better cared for. So it's the hardest thing I've ever done, and it still is hard, but God is carrying me through. And that's an excitingly restful place to be with God carrying you through that. Wow. Excitingly restful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you, ladies, so much. This has been so faith-building. I mean, it just, uh, recounting those stories of God's faithfulness in your life is just, um, you can see why God tells us to do that. You know, you yes. see examples of that in the Psalms where they're just talking about, being in, uh, you know, crossing the Red Sea and those moments where God comes through and he rescues us and he meets us and cares for us. So um, it's just thank you so much for sharing your lives so personally. And um, it's just encouraging to hear how God has met you. 